Every year on the first Sunday of Lent, which is today, this year, we read the story of Jesus' time in the wilderness, and this year is no exception. We do this because the season of Lent is modeled after his experience. Like his time in the wilderness, it lasts 40 days, not counting Sundays, which are considered little Easter's, and it is a time of spiritual preparation, in our case, preparation for Easter, a time during which we reflect on our relationship with God and Christ. Now, if you read the story of Jesus' wilderness experience in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, you'll find a lot of detail. It is from these two Gospels that we learn that Jesus fasted during his time in the wilderness. And likewise, it is from these two Gospels that we learn the nature of the temptation or testing to which Jesus was put by Satan. In fact, each of those Gospels contain a whole conversation between Jesus and his adversary, which is, by the way, what the word Satan means. Not so in Mark. As you just heard, in this Gospel, the entire wilderness experience is described in two sentences, two sentences packed with meaning. You may have noticed, for example, that the Holy Spirit doesn't just lead Jesus into the wilderness, quietly motivating him to spend time alone after his baptism. No, in Mark, the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. The Greek word here is the same one that Mark will later use to describe Jesus' ministry of casting out demons. The Spirit casts Jesus out into the wilderness, a place of desolation and loneliness, a place of hunger and thirst, a place of physical danger from wild beasts, and the spiritual danger of temptation. Now, Mark doesn't tell us anything about the nature of that temptation, So if we only had this gospel to go on, we would actually have no idea what happened in that that wilderness. But I think I could make some pretty good guesses. I think, for example, that Jesus would have used his newly given power, been tempted to use it, to provide for his physical needs and to protect himself. I also think that he would have been tempted to use his status as God's son and his divine power to make some pretty big changes in the world. After all, Jesus was all too aware of the oppression of his people under Roman domination. He knew poverty firsthand and was moved by the suffering of others. Surely he understood that change was desperately needed. So I can imagine Satan saying something like this. So, why not just fix it, Jesus? You know who you are. You know you have the power. Why not set yourself up as king? Why not reveal that you are the long-awaited Messiah? Think of the good you can do. Think of the glory that would be yours. Surely God would be pleased if you acted. Notice that all these imagined suggestions make sense. That's how temptation works a lot of the time, isn't it? Most of the time, we aren't tempted to go out and commit a robbery or to beat someone up. We don't feel drawn, thank goodness, to kill innocent people. No, the temptations that we face on a daily basis are often things that make perfect sense to us at the time. 
to eat another piece of cake when we're having a bad day. After all, we want to feel better. We deserve it, right? To deal with our hurt by holding on to a grudge when a friend doesn't follow through on their promise. To play it safe and look the other way when a coworker is being unfairly treated. To bend the rules just a little bit when it's to our advantage. To write off someone because we are uncomfortable with the way they speak or dress or the color of their skin. Such temptations are insidious simply because they often do make sense, at least until we really think about them. Even so, perhaps the only way to withstand such temptations is to refuse to give in to them, or to put it another way, to fast from them. It seems to me that Jesus did just that. During his time in the wilderness, he fasted not only from food, but also from the desires and dreams that would lead him away from God's way. Fasted from any sense that he could play it safe and still carry out his ministry with integrity. Now, I have no doubt that he wrestled with those temptations. It's not always easy. It's usually not easy to resist the things that appear, at least on the surface, to be good for us. But Jesus was able to do this, to fast from temptation, to say no to that that would lead him astray, in part because he had experienced God's yes. For not only did Jesus fast in the wilderness, but he feasted. His story didn't begin out in the middle of nowhere, after all. It began with his baptism, with the Spirit descending into him and a heavenly voice telling him, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit may have driven Jesus into the wilderness, but it did not leave him. And I have no doubt that Jesus drew strength and spiritual sustenance from the memory of those words and that day, even as he wrestled with its meaning for his ministry and mission. Mark also tells us that angels waited on Jesus. Again, this is the powerful image of the grace on which Jesus feasted, the grace of God that sustained him in the wilderness and gave him the courage to begin preaching even after learning that his mentor, John the Baptist, had been arrested. Fasting and feasting. We usually think of Lent as a time of repentance, self-denial, and discipline, a time to acknowledge our failures and need of God. But that doesn't mean that God's grace is unavailable to us. On the contrary, when we choose to fast from that which separates us from God and from each other, we are likely to discover an invitation to feast on the love that is ours in Jesus Christ. Let me share with you an experience that happened to me last week. My husband Don and I live in a small house in Redondo Beach with a yard that is mostly weeds and flower beds that are sorely sorely neglected. Every two weeks, a gardener comes to mow and blow. Not sure what he mows and blows, but he does. Now, I really like gardening, but I don't have a lot of time. Last year, in a sort of desperate attempt to put something in the flower bed under our front window, I took 
some packets of wildflower seeds that I've gotten from somewhere, and I sprinkled them around. And to my surprise, a few sprouted, and for a, for a time, we actually had some flowers in that flower bed. I didn't know what they were, but they were pretty. Of course, those flowers eventually died back, and so there it was, looking just sort of like dirt again. So imagine my delight when a few weeks ago, some little tiny plants began to grow after it rained. Now, I knew that a lot of them were were probably weeds, but you never know. And I was kind of excited to see what might emerge. So I watched over them, and I watered them, and watched them grow. And I could see some of them were alyssum, so that, that I could see that was coming up. So I was kind of waiting to see. But when I came home on Wednesday, the gardener's truck was in our driveway. And after he left, I went out to move our car and glanced at the flower bed. And I was horrified to see that the gardener had taken upon himself to weed the flower bed. And except for a few obvious plants, most of those little plants that I had been watching had been raked over. I was just a little upset. (laughs) And full of righteous indignation, I was sorely tempted to tell that gardener off How could he do that? Why didn't he ask before he just started digging up the dirt? Oh, I was so angry. And suddenly, by the grace of God, it came to me. Here was my Lenten discipline, or one of them anyway, to fast from that righteous anger and to feast on forgiveness. The gardener, after all, was just doing his job. He didn't know that all those little probably weeds meant anything to me. To him, they were just weeds, and he was probably right. But then I thought of one more thing. So during Lent, I'm going to fast from putting off something that I enjoy, and I'm going to feast on gardening. I'm hoping that each day I can get outside, even for just a little while, and enjoy the beauty of God's world and work a little in the soil. And while I work, I'm going to give thanks for God's grace and to pray. So, okay, gardening isn't one of the classic spiritual practices. But if nothing else, digging in the dirt and pulling up weeds and caring for little plants may help me to be open to God's work, nurturing work in the garden of my life. I encourage me, if nothing else, fast from busyness and feast on that which gives life. We've just begun our journey of Lent, and I encourage you to think of something from which you might fast this Lent. It could be food that tastes good and, but does not nourish. It could be a habit that gets in the way of your relationship with others and thus with God. It could be a way of speaking or acting that appears to make perfect sense, but it actually causes harm. And at the same time, I encourage you to feast on something that will nurture your relationship with God. It might be a spiritual practice like prayer or reading the Bible, but it also might be something completely different, really listening to a friend, helping a neighbor, writing thank you notes or a letter, or working in a garden. You might even look for the opposite from that 
of that from which you are fasting. For example, if you want to fast from anxiety, then feast on prayer. If you desire to fast from judgment, then feast on seeing the goodness in others. If you feel the need to fast from busyness, which most of us do, then feast on solitude and quiet. If you long to fast from discontentment, then feast on gratitude. You can put together your own pair in your mind. There are any number of ways that you might observe this season, that you might fast and feast. And I encourage you to ask for the Spirit's guidance and direction. Who knows, there may be some small incident in your life that just clicks in your mind and says, ah, that's it. And in the meantime, I pray that God will bless each and every one of us as we fast and feast on this journey of Lent. May it be so. Amen.